0: Holy Hera, it's the first issue of Radio Free Themyscira. The nation needs Wonder Woman. On Paradise Island, home of the eternally young and beautiful Amazon. Wonder Woman. Athena, give me strength. Who knows she has the strength of Hercules. But Themyscira. Who knows she has the wisdom of Athena. We the of the future. It's Sister Woody. Princess Diana, the Wonder Woman. Hello, my brothers and sisters in Gaia. I am your host, Matt, and thank you for joining us for the first issue of Radio Free Themascara. Uh, so today we're going to keep things pretty light. As an introduction, I'll uh, introduce myself a little bit, and we will explain what you can expect from the show. Then we will jump right in and begin the first of four origin stories that Wonder Woman has had over her 75-year career. So a little bit about me. Uh, most people can claim the 1970s Linda Carter show as the start of their love of Wonder Woman. But as a 90s kid, my first introduction was the, to the Amazon princess was the Bruce Timm Justice League cartoon show. Uh, she was instantly my favorite character. She had the, this awesome power set, uh, flight, strength, mostly invulnerable. And she had all these awesome gadgets, like the Lasso of Truth, the Bulletproof Bracelets. Uh, They even got the Invisible Jet in there. Uh, She was like Batman, only better. (laughs) As I grew up and started to grow out of cartoons, uh, the superhero movie boom happened. And that really pulled me back into superheroes and made me want to start reading comic books. The first comic book series I really got into was Jeff John's Teen Titans series, which I definitely recommend. I'll put an Amazon link in the show notes. And the character I uh, attached myself to very quickly was Cassie Sandmark, who was the second Wonder Girl. Now, I won't talk too much about Cassie right now because we'll get to her later on as we go through Wonder Woman's story. Um, But Cassie being my favorite Teen Titan led me to check out the first volume of George Perez's Wonder Woman from my local library. Around this time, I also got into Greek mythology. In fact, I'm working on my degree, minoring in that right now. So I was super excited at the time to find out that Wonder Woman's entire story is based in Greek mythology. Beyond that, uh, I really love what Diana stands for. Um, In a world full of bigotry and hate, she shows us that no matter how frustrated we become or how mistreated we are by people... Uh, We can stand and fight against those opposing forces without lowering ourselves to their level. There's a great quote from my favorite issue of Wonder Woman, uh, Wonder Woman number 170, which was written by Phil Jimenez, who is an amazing comic book artist and writer, and quite frankly, a beautiful, beautiful man. (laughs) Um, In this issue, Wonder Woman is giving a speech to a lecture hall full of university students. And one of the the students asks her how she can expect normal people to follow her ideals. After all, the rest of us are living in the real world with real problems. Diana replies, If this prospect of living in a world where trying to respect the basic rights of those around you and valuing each other simply because we exist are such daunting and impossible tasks, that only a superhero born of royalty can address them? Then what kind of world are we left with? And what sort of world do you want to live in? I don't always live up to that example, but sometimes striving for that can be enough, you know? Uh, so now, for a decade, I've been a Wonder Woman fanboy, and I needed an outlet to express the love of my love of this character, and that resulted in this podcast— Another reason I wanted to make this podcast is that I feel like Wonder Woman, despite being what's called the big three of Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman at DC, DC Comics, she's constantly either been pushed to the side or entirely mishandled. Sometimes it seems like the only reason DC has her series running is so that they can keep the copyright to her name. Um, so, like, if people ask, uh, if you ask people questions like, who is Superman's best friend? They'll probably answer Jimmy Olsen. Or, who is Lois Lane? They'll answer that she is the ace reporter of the Daily Planet and Superman's girlfriend and later wife. Or, who is Nightwing? They'll tell you that's Dick Grayson, former Robin, and Batman's estranged ex-boyfriend. But if you ask them, who is Cassie Sandmark? Or, who is Ferdinand the Minotaur? And how did he become such a great chef? Or... Who is Mindy Mayer and why is her story so tragic? Most people can't answer these questions. They've never heard of these characters because Wonder Woman has really been left in the dust compared to her male counterparts in the Big Three. I mean, between Batman and Superman, they've starred in over a dozen films. Wonder Woman made her big screen debut as a cameo in 2014's Lego movie. <laughs> Uh, Fortunately, she really stole the show when she was played by Gal Gadot in Batman v Superman, which was really awesome. Her parts were the highlights of that film. She is the reason I'm buying the (laughs) Blu-ray. But we'll talk more about that later on when we have an episode about Wonder Woman on screen. Uh, So this podcast is really a reaction to that lack of wonder love. So here's how this show is going to be set up. Every month I'm going to release a full episode of the podcast. Uh, The main feature of that show will be explaining Wonder Woman's history starting in 1987 with George Perez's run during what we comic book geeks refer to as the post-crisis era. Um, Now don't worry about words like that. Uh, This first couple of episodes will set up the amazing Amazon's history and explain terms like post-crisis or golden age, new 52, pre-flashpoint, what they mean. Uh, to give everyone a bit of a foundation to build upon here. Also, once a month, we'll have a smaller episode, which will be a, uh, a mini-sode, you might say, of the show. Um, and that show will be one of several different segments. Uh, we may have a uh, just a commentary on a Linda Carter episode or uh, one of the movies that's come out st- uh, starring Wonder Woman. Uh, We may also have an episode talking about some of the people or events surrounding Wonder Woman. Uh, The first episode is probably going to be uh, about William Moulton Marsden, the creator of Wonder Woman. Um, It may also be a segment I'm going to borrow from the Golden Age comics called Wonder Women of History, in which we talk about notable women from throughout time who have really pushed the limits of what society thought about women at the time. (laughs) Occasionally, we may also have a segment called Myth Information, in which I will talk about the ancient myths that show up in Wonder Woman. And uh, i give you some background on them so you can better appreciate them when uh, they appear in the comics. So, uh, without further ado, we will go ahead and jump right into Wonder Woman's Golden Age history. So, Wonder Woman was created during the Golden Age of comics, which began at the end of the Great Depression, but before the beginning of World War II with the first appearance of Superman in Action Comics number 1. Soon, Superman was joined by Batman in Detective Comics number 27. Now, while Superman can trace his themes back to sci-fi stories like John Carter of Mars, and Batman owes a debt to dark crusaders like Zorro or the detectives in mystery radio programs, Wonder Woman was born in the classrooms of universities. Wonder Woman was created by a Harvard-taught psychologist named William Moulton Marson, one of the men who uh, whose work led to the creation of the lie detector. Now, Doctor Marston is a very, very interesting man. Uh, but like I mentioned before, we're going to talk about him in his own minisode. For now, let's go ahead and jump right into the Golden Age origin of Wonder Woman. Now, Wonder Woman's origin is actually spread out across three different comic books. First, All Star Comics number eight, which is her first appearance, and she's just a backup story there. Sensation Comics number one. And then Wonder Woman, number one, the first series that she gets a star in solo. So what I've done is I've rearranged these stories into chronological order to make them a little bit easier for me to explain, and hopefully easier for you to understand. So here we go. So our story begins during the early half of the twentieth century. War is on the horizon. High above the mortal plane, on Mount Olympus, home of the gods, Mars, the god of war, and Aphrodite, goddess of love are arguing over the state of affairs in the human world. Oho ho The whole world's at war. I rule the Earth. Aphrodite responds, Your rule will end when America wins, and America will win. I'll send an Amazon to help her. Now, you might notice that the story seems to go back and forth on whether or not it wants to call the gods by their Greek or Roman names. Uh, That's going to happen a lot for the next about 40 years until we get to George Perez's uh, series in 1987. Uh, Then they nail down the gods' designations. Our story then cuts to a hidden island in the Bermuda Triangle, the home of the aforementioned Amazons. The princess of the Amazons, Diana, and her friend Mala are walking through the forest when they hear a sudden sound from above. An airplane flies overhead and crashes into the bay. Mala and Diana swim out to rescue the pilot and drag her back to shore. Only then do they realize it's not a her at all. Princess, it's... it's a... Diana finishes Mala's thought for her. It's a man. A man on Paradise Island. Quick, let's get him to the hospital. Diana easily pulls the man up into her arms and runs out of the forest and into the Amazon city. Amazons cry out as they pass by. A man! How did he get here? Someone should tell the queen. There's a man on Paradise Island. Soon the man is lying in the Amazon hospital. Diana will not leave his side as the doctor treats him. All right, now let me take a moment and talk about the Amazon's fashion. It's awesome, guys. Uh, most of the Amazons in the city are dressed in just different colored togas. But Mala and Diana are wearing these uh, mini skirts, topped with this big, thick black belt. And what looks like a, uh, a bustier with a, uh, with a bit attaching to their necklaces. Uh, the doctor's outfit here I really love. It's clearly a medical uniform, but it looks like something Lady Gaga or Madonna might wear. Uh, this is a really good way to show us that this story does not take place in the same world that we're used to. Um, they're all pretty revealing, but you know, the Amazons are just living all together here on the island, dressing for themselves. And these outfits look really comfortable in this uh, tropical island setting. <laughs> uh, speaking of something Madonna might wear, uh, the qu- Queen, Hippolyta, enters the room wearing what looks like the pointed boob top from Madonna's blonde ambition tour. <laughs> I'll. Uh, I'll I'll post uh, pictures of all of this in the show notes on the Facebook page. I heard there was a man here, but I could not believe it. Who is he? The doctor explains that they found his identification. He is Captain Stephen Trevor of the U.S. Army Intelligence Agency. The queen orders the doctor to keep the man's eyes covered as long as he's here, but to give him the best treatment available. Days go by, and Diana has not left Steve Trevor's side. The doctor notices this and goes to tell Diana's mother, the queen, that the princess seems to be smitten with this man. Hippolyta agrees that she was afraid of this, and calls Diana to her side. As she speaks to Diana about the man, she takes a moment to remind Diana, and inform the comic reading audience, about the history of the Amazons of Paradise Island. Now for this history, we're going to just uh, jump ahead to Wonder Woman number one, Uh, we were just now reading from Cessation Comics, and while it gives several actual paragraphs about the Amazons, uh, Wonder Woman number one goes uh, much more in depth. So long ago in ancient Greece, women were seen as little more than property to men, and were bought and sold like cattle. After an argument with Mars about which gender was superior, the goddess Aphrodite sculpts a new race of women, who she calls the Amazons. She chooses one of the women, Hippolyte, to be the queen of people and gives her a magical girdle which makes the amazons unconquerable uncon- in man's world mars is infuriated by this and threatens aphrodite that he will send even stronger men to defeat the amazons but Am- but aphrodite and I-, I just love this part gives him a snap snap and tells him that's what i think of your threats no really that that's what she says here <laughs> it's too great <laughs> now mars is even angrier. And he begins to whisper in the ear of the demigod Hercules, yes, that Hercules, that the Amazons think they're better than men and need to be put in their place. So Hercules drunkenly decides to take his army of men to conquer the Amazons. They arrive outside the Amazon city and challenge Hippolyta to a fight. Hippolyta accepts, saying that she will dare fight any man. Not long into the fight... Hercules uses his strength to smash Hippolyta's sword to smithereens with his club. But Hippolyta thinks fast, and uses the remaining hilt of her sword to redirect his club, slamming it into his skull and bringing him to the ground. She takes up his weapon and stands over him, telling him to leave their home in peace and to never return. Hercules realizes he must now turn to Guile to complete his mission. He laughs and invites the Amazons back to the men's camp to throw a celebration to the newfound kinship between Hercules and Hippolyta. There, Hercules invites Hippolyta back to his tent for some wine, and the two get very friendly and talk into the night. During their late-night discussion, Hercules asks to hold Hippolyta's girdle. She refuses, but after a few more drinks, she gives in. As soon as Hercules lays hands on the girdle, he rips it away, runs out of his tents, and orders his men to attack. Hippolyta calls her Amazons to arms as well, but it's of no use. Without the magical girdle, the Amazons are quickly subdued and put into chains and shackles. The Amazons suffer many indignities under the men, and Hippolyta, in her most desperate hour, cries out to her goddesses for help. Aphrodite appears and agrees to release the Amazons from their chains, but tells Hippolyta that the Amazons must from now on wear the shackles on their wrists to remind them of what happens when they allow themselves to fall under forceful domination of men. Hippolyta agrees, and Aphrodite releases the Amazons from their chains. Driven by their rage at being tormented, the Amazons tear through the army of men. Hippolyta defeats Hercules again in one-on-one combat and retrieves her girdle. The Amazons then fight their way to the beach and steal the men's boats sail out into the Aegean. Aphrodite leads them across the sea to a magical island prepared just for them, where they will live in isolation from the wars of men. Now much, much later, not long before this story began, Hippolyta, guided by the goddess of wisdom Athena, sculpts a baby out of clay. Aphrodite appears and blesses the child with life. Now, this is a reference to the Greek myth Pygmalion. In this story, a sculptor named Pygmalion uh, creates a beautiful woman out of clay and falls in love with her. Aphrodite sees this love so pure and brings the statue to life. Pygmalion and the statue named Galatea live happily ever after together. This is also the basis for the story of My Fair Lady. So there's a little uh, preview of myth information for you. Hippolyta names the child Diana after the goddess of the hunt. All the Amazons take part in Diana's upbringing, teaching her the secrets of Amazonian strength and agility, and most important, reverence to the gods. Hippolyta teaches Diana of the magic fountain of youth, which keeps the Amazons eternally young and strong. And that brings our story full circle up to the day a young adult, Diana, sees Steve Trevor's plane crash onto their island. Hippolyta finishes her story back in Sensation Comics and leads Diana to the magic sphere given to the Amazons by the goddess Athena. Now, the magic sphere is more like a magic disc, and it seems to operate like an old rotary phone. The outside circle turns to whatever time period you want to look at. And the inner one is labeled with all the great empires of the Earth. This is the Amazon's only way to view the outside world, and it allows the Amazons to keep up with modern technology and make their own improvements. As isolated on the island, they are free to concentrate on scientific and technological advances of their own. This has led them to invent things like the Purple Healing Ray, or uh, maybe even an invisible jet. (laughs) We'll get there, guys. At Diana's request, Hippolyta uses the magic sphere to look back on Steve Trevor's recent history and how he arrived on the island. The sphere shows a Steve Trevor in a U.S. military base, where he's explaining to his commanding officer, Sir, I've come to report that I've last uncovered information as to who the leaders of the spy ring are. I'd like permission to close in on them personally. His commanding officer denies him, reminding him that he's a very valuable officer, to the intelligence department, and, he, and they can't risk losing him. Trevor continues to argue, "'That may be, sir, but these men are dangerous, and capturing them is a job I'd rather not shift on to somebody else. I hope you'd understand.'" The commanding officer, seeing his commitment to duty, finally allows him to go ahead and pursue the spy. That night, Steve Trevor sneaks up on the hidden airfield the spies have been using. Unfortunately, he gets there too soon, and gets there just as the spies are arriving." He encounters them as they are pulling up in their car. He rushes to the driver's window and pulls his gun, telling them to come peaceably and nobody will get hurt. The driver reacts too quickly, though, and throws open his door, knocking Trevor to the ground, unconscious. This leaves the spies free to continue with their master plan. They will use their ex- experimental stealth bomber plane to fly high above the clouds and bomb U.S. military installations. Since they're so high and hidden... They cannot be identified, so Germany cannot be blamed, and the U.S. cannot consider it an act of war. To further their plan, they have stolen a U.S. robot plane and plan to program it to fly below them, adding to the confusion, as all the Americans will be able to see while they're being bombed, is one of their own planes. They see an opportunity and stuff Chief Trevor into the cockpit of the robot plane and proceed with their objectives. Luckily, Steve Trevor awakens just as the bombs begin to drop, and he is able to override the plane's remote control and turn the jet onto the Germans. The spies realize their plan is ruined and turn to retreat across the ocean back to Germany. Steve is relentless, though, and pursues the Nazis over open water. Unfortunately, the tiny plane is not prepared for this transatlantic flight, and after hours of chasing the bomber plane, it runs out of gas and begins to fall. Steve Trevor is amazed as he passes through a thick fog bank and suddenly sees an island that was not there a moment before. Well, my daughter, there is the history of your captain up to the very moment he crashed his plane onto Paradise Island. Having gained this new information, Hippolyta dismisses her daughter and goes to the temple of the goddesses to commune with their patron deities. Aphrodite and Athena appear to Hippolyta and reveal that it was the gods themselves who ordained that Steve Trevor crash on their island, because America must win the war. According to Athena, America is the last citadel of democracy and for equal rights for women. The goddesses tell Hippolyta that she must hold a contest on the island and choose the strongest and most skilled Amazon to return to man's world with Steve Trevor and fight against the Nazis' tyranny. Now, we're going to jump back to Wonder Woman number one, where Hippolyta is announcing the contest to the Amazons over the mental radio that the Amazons use. Uh, The mental radio is another example of the Amazon technologies. Uh, It's like this big screen, like a TV, and a wire comes out of the screen and connects to the viewer's forehead. Uh, Maybe it's streaming audio and visual into their minds. I don't know why they need the screen for the visual then. Um, Maybe it's just handless control? Uh, I, I don't know on that. Now this is how Diana hears about it, and begs her mother to allow her to enter the contest, but Hippolyta forbids it, as Diana must stay on the island and fulfill her birthright as a princess. But Princess Diana does not take no for an answer, and the next morning she disguises herself in a domino mask and joins the Amazon athletes at the Coliseum. The contestants march out into the ring to prepare for the first event, mounted combat. Now, usually mounted combat would mean that they're going to be on horseback battling each other. But that's not true for the Amazons. The Amazons ride atop Kangas. Now, this is one of my favorite parts of Wonder Woman's Golden Age mythos, guys. Kangas are these giant velociraptor kangaroos that live on Paradise Island. It's later suggested that the Kangas were brought to Earth by uh, space Amazons called the Skyfire's Nebulosa. Uh, The larger uh, larger Kangas are used by the Skyfire's to travel through interstellar space. And the smaller Kangas are used by the Amazons as mounts. They they just don't write comics like this anymore, people. Uh, Diana, riding her favorite Kanga, Jumpa, quickly dispatches the other avocats. She also makes quick work of them in the contest of lassoing, using her agility and lassoing skills to avoid and subdue her opponents. Soon there are only two Amazons left, and the Queen announces the final events, the most challenging trial of all, bullets and bracelets. And here we see one of Wonder Woman's most iconic powers introduced. In the challenge of bullets and bracelets, the contestants must use their shackles to deflect bullets shot at them by the other athlete. Diana easily deflects the projectiles, but the other Amazon is too slow and takes a bullet to the shoulder. And thus Diana wins the contest of the Amazons. Hippolyta then calls the mysterious Amazon up to her and asks her to remove her mask so that all of Paradise Island can meet their new champion. Diana removes her mask, and Paula is shocked to find it's her own daughter. The queen is heartbroken, but she knows her duty and awards Diana with a costume made under the direction of Aphrodite herself. It's the first incarnation of the Wonder Woman iconic costume. Diana equips herself in her new uniform and meets the queen in the throne room where Hippolyta explains the powers of the magic lasso. Made from links forged from Hippolyta's girdle of Aphrodite, the lasso is unbreakable and compels anyone held within it to tell the truth and obey the commands of the lasso's bearer. Diana gets a chance to test out her new lasso when the doctor enters the throne room. Diana orders her to stand on her head, which the doctor outright refuses to do. But once ensnared in the lasso, she cries out in alarm that she is compelled to do what she's told and stands in her head. Hippolyta finds this as amusing, but tells Diana to release the poor doctor. The doctor is a bit befuddled by this, but updates Diana and the queen that Steve Trevor is now well enough to travel. Steve Trevor is moved by the Amazons to the back of a technologically advanced invisible plane, and Diana shares a tearful goodbye with her mother. She then flies away in the jet, leaving her home for the first time, heading out into the mysterious man's world. All right, so we're just about upon our 30-minute uh, runtime. Uh, thank you, everyone, for joining us for our first episode, and uh, stay, tu- stay tuned on iTunes and SoundCloud for our first mini-sode about The Man Who Created Wonder Woman. Uh, should be up within the next week. Uh, Then a few weeks later, our second episode will be released and we'll find out more about what happens to Diana when she arrives in Man's World. And we'll uh, meet some of her Golden Age friends like the Holiday Girls and Etta Candy, who I cannot wait to introduce you to. And uh, then we will talk about some of the real world problems she runs into after the war ends. And then her second origin story during the Silver Age of Comics. Um, but then we'll be that much closer to the main event, the 1987 reboot. Uh, until then, uh, please give us some feedback. Uh, you can you can go to our uh, Facebook page at com slash Uh Tell us your story and uh, tell us why you love Wonder Woman. And uh, also you can give us some suggestions for uh, the Wonder Woman of History segment. Now, uh, before we go, I want to thank my boyfriend, Cass, for providing the voices of uh, both uh, Mars, god of war, and Aphrodite, the goddess of love. All right. And we will uh, see you all next time. Thank you. And may the glory of Gaia be upon you. <laughs>